Thank you very much. Um, we kind of talked and joked about uh, different little things, and that's one of those things. And I really didn't expect you to do that, but thank you. <laughs> I performed a wedding uh, last weekend, and uh, uh, the groom um, honored me by thanking me for performing the ceremony. And in that, he said, uh, my brother-in-law, Tal, with hair that flows like a river. And we're <laughs> so... Um, I guess he's never seen it in the morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, I woke up and uh, there was a hairbrush in my uh, medicine cabinet shelf, and I was trying to figure out what that thing was until Christina told me. <laughs> Anyways, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, to stand and share God's word with you. Um, it's been a long time since I've actually had the opportunity to preach and share. And uh, as, as we were talking this morning, Chelsea and I, um, it is an art. It's a, it's a special um, learned way to present God's word to people. And, and uh, we honor you, Chelsea, for the things that you do, the time and effort that you come and share God's word. Because it's really a test for each and every one of us who share God's word. And... Um, uh, you know, Scripture teaches us that uh, the elders and deacons should uh, be prepared in season and out, se- out of season to get up and share God's word. So uh, at this point, I'd like to ask Michelle to come up and uh, share. Uh... <laughs> I thought he had binoculars on. <laughs> I have a lot of fun. I've, uh, I've got a job description that uh, is very exciting for a lot of people. I get to do archery, kayaking, and a number of other outdoor initiatives. Um, these things are at the forefront of our lives. Behind the scenes, uh, there's a lot of seriousness, and uh, this past summer is no different. And most of you here have already been informed uh, of a young lady who disappeared over the course of the summer, and uh, she was gone for almost three weeks. Uh, Dee Dee Brown, who was uh, um, just all of a sudden was missing, and uh, we prayed about that. And uh, Christina, Mika, uh, myself, and uh, a number of other people were involved in the search efforts to find Dee Dee. And we had teams going to Victoria. We had boat crews. Um, we had all sorts of things going on. Uh, Vancouver Island search and rescue teams came over. RCMP were fully present and uh, a part of that effort. And unfortunately, uh, if you haven't heard already, uh, um, yes, our prayers were answered. We found her, but uh, we didn't find her in a state that we had anticipated or hoped. Uh, we dreaded the, uh, the possibility that she would come back to us uh, deceased, and she did. Um, the family is hurt, and uh, they appreciate their prayers. We told them that uh, we are talking to our church and sharing with our church somewhat uh, about the need for prayer. And they have asked you to continue praying for uh, the whole family and for the RCMP who are conducting a, an investigation still as foul play is still uh, high on the priority list. So it's an open, it's an open case, and uh, there's still a lot, a lot of hurt feelings. The family wants to grow and move away from this. They want closure, and uh, they've asked us to participate in prayer uh, to be able to petition our God to be able to come to that resolution. So 
on behalf of the Brown family and people closest to them, uh, we raise our hands and say to each and every one of you for your prayers and your petitions before Christ. The seriousness of life doesn't go unseen. We're very different people. We're very different cultures. And the Christian Reformed Church has seen that. And today actually opens uh, a, a time for the Christian Reformed Church called All Nations Heritage Week. And we start today. And I think in a lot of ways, starting this uh, right now, to be able to preach and share God's word on this day as a First Nations man, uh, it's, it's an awesome opportunity because... We're trying to bridge cultures. We're trying to bridge gaps. We're trying to learn to understand one another and, and to grow, not just as cultures, not just as race, but as people of Christ. We need to be at the forefront of this unified cultural difference. We need to bring those together, but accept one another for their differences. And may this be a foundation of who we are as, as followers in Christ, that we would always be open to those who are different from us in order that we can express our love and gratitude for what somebody else brings to the table as people. The reason why I think it's urgent that we... Actually, let me put on some glasses. This is... I don't, do, you guys, do you guys prefer... Uh, gunmetal gray or do you prefer black and and you um as i get older i'm i'm not sure these ones read better but uh they look kind of funny i can't see you guys so uh um but if i wear the other ones they're bifocals and i can read and see you i don't, I don't know i'll leave these ones on <laughs> urgency and distress anguish and other feelings of being destitute, they require a res- uh, I can't do that. They require a response for each and every person to turn to God. Yeah, there are many other different ways that we can deal with the, those cases of re- urgency and anguish. But for us, as Jesus people, This is an opportunity for us to turn to God and lean fully, wholly on him. But as we look in this room, each and every one of us are representatives of Christ. We are Jesus' people, followers of the great king. We want to be that voice that cries out to God. We want to be the ears that hear the cries of those in the most need. We want to be godly representatives of Christ. We are the living representatives of Christ. Not only does the Christian Reformed Church celebrate this week as All Nations Heritage Week, but last um, was it Tuesday, I think it was, Tuesday or Thursday, we celebrated Orange Shirt Day. And rather than having me explain Orange Shirt Day, it was September 30th, pardon me. Rather than having me explain it, I'll read a a segment from their website. Orange Shirt Day is a legacy of the St. Joseph Mission, 
Residential School commemoration, which was an event that was held at Williams Lake in the spring of 2013. And it grew out of uh, the account of uh, Lady Nymphos, who had bought a shiny new orange shirt. And she wore it to her first day at residential school to celebrate education. This day of commemoration has become an opportunity to keep the discussion on all aspects of residential schools happening on an annual basis. The day was chosen because it was the time of the year which children were taken from their homes to residential schools and because it is an opportunity to set the stage for anti-racism and anti-bullying policies for the coming school year. Orange Shirt Day is also an opportunity for First Nations, local governments, go governments, schools and communities to come together in the spirit of reconciliation and hope for generations of children to come. This is a First Nations community that is trying to open up the doors for all of Canada to see that there can be changes made. It is a call out, a cry out from those who have suffered under the hand of the church and the government to make positive changes. Those changes come from awareness and understanding. And I hope by me standing here, my wife and I, our lives that we lead, that we all learn to bridge those cultures, those gaps. There's a symbol that I have on my sheet here. It's I, I should have done a little bit of a printout on it, but it, it's got a, a collective of hands. It's done in orange, and it's done in the First Nations style. And on the inside, it says, every child matters. It doesn't say every First Nations child matters. It doesn't say every Chinese child matters. It doesn't say every Dutch child matters. It says every child matters. And in the eyes of God, each and every one of us is that child. We are children of God. The little ones. I'm always amazed at all the little ones that come up here. It's so much fun to watch them. The joy that they bring, the, the chuckles and laughter and the little goofy antics that they bring to the stage. Those little ones matter. Every child matters. But Orange Shirt Day is part of a much bigger story. Phyllis is a survivor. She had a new shirt, and it was orange. It tied up at the front, and it was shiny and new. Something that her financially impoverished grandmother bought for her as a celebration for a new day and a new page in life. A six-year-old girl arrives at residential school only to have her clothing stripped from her and even worse, she's had her dignity and her honor stripped from her. And she's scarred from many atrocities that happened to her. These atrocities happen at the hands of Jesus people, supposedly Christ followers. The unashamed abusers not only abuse children, but they abuse the good name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all the other 
names that God uses. Phyllis's shirt is gone forever, but it marks a stage in her life where a quest to have that shirt restored, to have her dignity restored. It's a lifetime, it's a lifetime journey. And she's on this journey, not alone. She has a support network around her, and she has friends and family that understand. She has a community that understands, people who love her. But you and I, brothers and sisters, fellow lovers of Christ, we need to be a part of this Orange Shirt Day. Not necessarily on September 30th, but on those days where the Lord provokes our hearts and moves our hearts to be in support of those who have suffered at the hands of our Savior's namesake. Phyllis and countless others are crying out to be heard. Are you hearing that call? I know some of you are, and some of you already understand that Phyllis is everywhere around us. Orange Shirt Day can also be seen as a nation-to-nation cry. It's a huge subject, this, but it's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk a little more about uh, what Scripture teaches us about crying out to the Lord. In Scripture, crying out to God is very common. In Nehemiah, we hear about a cry of deep distress. Nehemiah 9 and verse 9 I put to nine, verse 9 to 11 because uh, 911 is kind of an emergency state, but I'm only going to read verse 9. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. I don't know if you've been thirsty. I don't know if you've been fearful. But I could just imagine what the Israelites were feeling with armies behind them to come and slaughter them all. We read this passage or the stories of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and to me sometimes it's kind of like a story. It's like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. But man, I don't know if you've ever had somebody chasing after you to beat you up or anything like that. Uh, Maybe not too many of you have been in that situation but uh i've been chased down by a few guys and uh it's not a good feeling no i didn't cry out to god but uh i found a nice hiding place you know you got three guys chasing after you you're probably not gonna you're probably not gonna put up much of a fight so that deep distress cry out to god I'm going to take a step back. I've missed my introduction. In my introductions, I typically like to give the answer. And here's the answer. God hears the cry 
of his people, all of his people. So when we cry out to God, he hears us. Whether we're followers of Christ or not, if we call out to his name, he hears that. When we're in great need, we have a cry out for help that may not be as urgent, but it is important that we cry out. Exodus 15:25. When the Israelites could not find fresh water in the wilderness, it says here in verse 25, So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. We don't always know where those answers are. Well, we know where they're coming from, but they're not always the answers that we're expecting when we cry out to God. He does things a little differently than each and every one of us. You know, we throw out a prayer and say, God, help us. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, you know, an ailment of this or that. And, um, and then we ask God to guide the doctors. We're not always looking for the bizarre and the unusual, throw a stick in the water and it'll happen. But it happens. I'm sure of it. When we wake up in the morning and, and we don't really know what to expect in the course of the day, but we have oxygen. We have this. We have that. We are given everything we need to survive and to live. And when we cry out to God, He hears us even more in our anguish, in our pain, in our hurt. God hears every one of your cries. When you're lost, confused, the answers in your life, you don't know where they're coming from. You, don't, you have no answers. We all know that feeling. To be destitute here and here What am I doing, God? What do I do? I'm lost. Where do I go? He loves us so much that he gives us direction in our daily living. Matthew 14, verse 30. When the apostle Peter walked out on the water... Christ's invitation. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me! And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. I could just imagine Peter walking on the water just happy and thinking, man, this is really cool. And then all of a sudden, it just like starts sinking and his hands are flailing. I don't know if you've ever flailed. Um, <laughs> one time, Christina and I we were driving back from uh, Swift Current to um, back to my college, and I was explaining to uh, Miller College of the Bible. Some of you might know it. But anyways, from Swift Current to Pamburn, Saskatchewan, it was... Uh, 
is a little bit icy. It's only about minus 30. But uh, I was explaining to her, oh, just up ahead there, there's usually black ice. And just as I said that, there was black ice where we were, and we just kind of went into the spin-out. And, uh, and we're driving along, and I'm like, oh, God, please help. I'm, I'm like, literally, I was flailing because of trying to get a hold of the steering wheel and straighten us out. And as I, I, I reached a place of, like, instant control, the, the, the van came under control. We're driving in the ditch. Snow was just... And I drove out of the ditch, and we kept going home. Didn't stop, didn't get stuck, but I believe God heard my cry. It's not too often that I just yell out, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Maybe before I loved and followed Christ, I probably said it a few times, but that's not in a good way. Some characteristics of crying out to God. It's usually an act of desperation, isn't it? Crying out to God expresses some of the following traits. Genuine humility. When we reach the place in our lives and we know that it's a healthy choice as followers of Christ to seek God, in our pain and anguish, when we've lost a loved one. We've all lost loved ones, haven't we? You know that feeling where inside your stomach, it feels empty and it's twisted? Your lungs hurt and there's pressure. And the tears are right here where they're flowing like a river. That hurt and that pain. And when we say, God, please bring your comfort. Please bring it. We know that's a healthy choice. It's a healthy choice because for the believer, we have faith in God's power and his resources. Your cry out to God expresses your faith in his ability to meet your needs. But that desperation, that desperation sometimes just hovers. It hangs on and it won't let go. That cry out of desperation, which so many people experience and feel. Desperation as an unbeliever, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine. If I relied solely on myself to deal with anguish and pain, I'd probably be suicidal. Most of us probably would be if we didn't have Christ to lean on. (coughs) 
Health Canada, I don't necessarily put a lot of weight into statistics, but um, statistics can be fudged and moved around and books can get cooked and stuff. But I think that's just a skeptic in me. I just wanted to read some Health Canada stats. Did you know that 30% of First Nations people have felt sad, blue, or depressed in two or more weeks? And I don't know if this was uh, an annual or a lifetime stat, but um, I think it's kind of an unusual statistic. But uh, these other ones are uh, quite serious and, and uh, express a, a sense of urgency. Not a sense of an urgency, but it is urgent. Suicide and self-inflicted injuries are the leading causes of death for First Nations youth and adults up to 44 years of age. First Nations youth commit suicide about five to six times more often than non-Aboriginal youth. The suicide rate for First Nations males is 126 per 100,000 compared to 24 per 100,000 for non-Aboriginal males. First Nations females, the suicide is rate Suicide rate is 35 per 100,000 compared to only 5 per 100,000 for non-Aboriginal females. Suicide rates for Inuit youth are among the highest in the world at 11 times the national average. I guess it would be the international average, wouldn't it? Urgency? It sure is. The people are crying out. First Nations are not. I found it very interesting that as, as I finished doing that, those statistics or, or researching statistics, and uh, I listen to music when I, I prepare things, and I, I seem to think a little bit better. But as I was preparing this and I reached this place, this song came on, sung by Mavis Staples. You are not alone. I'm with you. I'm lonely too. What's that song? Can't be sung by two? A broken home, a broken heart, isolated and afraid. Open up. This is a raid. I want to get it through to you. You are not alone. You are not alone. Every night I stand in your place. Every tear on every face tastes the same. A broken dream, a broken heart, isolated and afraid. Open up, this is a raid. I want to get it through to you. You are not alone. An open hand, an open heart, there's no need to be afraid. Open up, this is a raid. I want to get it through to you. You are not alone. I want to get it through to you. You are not alone. I want to get it through to you. You are not alone. This is the crux of it, people. This sounds to me like Jesus singing into my life. And singing into your lives. This is a raid. 
It's like Elliot Ness busting through the door to make things right. Jesus busting through your heart to make things right. When someone has an urgent need and they're crying out, are we there to meet that need? Are you willing to open up your life and realize that you're not alone? Are you living the part of Jesus to be proactive in responding to the urgent needs of others or yourself? There's another story that... um, I read recently in Kamloops, uh, a young lady was uh, found dead with a brick on her chest, beaten. Kamloops, BC, an emergency room doctor who told a 16-year-old girl and her boyfriend that she was pregnant hours before she was found dead says he was amazed at the couple's calm reaction. She was not upset or distraught, Dr. Williamson told the Supreme Court. I've given this news to a lot of girls, and they're usually upset and crying. Williamson was testifying in the second-degree murder trial of Damian Taylor, who was accused of killing C.J. Fowler, his pregnant girlfriend. Taylor, who is now 24, was arrested and charged a year after that uh, Ms. Fowler was found dead in the Garen Creek area on December 5th, 2012. Williamson and Fowler went to the Royal Inland Hospital earlier that morning complaining of chest pains from Crystal Matthews. She had been there for the same reason a day earlier. Williams said he routinely routinely orders a pregnancy test before performing chest x-rays, and the test showed that she was pregnant. He said that he said Fowler had a slightly elevated heart rate, which is consistent with Crystal Matthews. There were no other symptoms, however. Fowler was discharged at about 1.30, the court heard, and medical staff told her a social worker at the hospital to get her food and a safe room for the night. But Williamson and Fowler told medical staff that her grandmother lived in the city and that she had friends in the Garen Creek area. She said the couple would walk there. A pregnant 16-year-old girl at 1.30 in the morning. A drug user. This was a no-brainer that somebody should have taken control of the matter. It was her second trip in two days. She proclaimed that she was using drugs. There should have been an intervention right there. She should not have been allowed to leave that hospital without somebody stepping in. The medical staff and the social workers missed a call out, a cry out for help. And as a result, A life was lost, needlessly. 
These people didn't take an opportunity to meet a need. She didn't cry out in an audible way. She was crying out by stepping forward. She was crying out as a drug user. This is a silent scream, my friends. We don't always hear it, but we will see it in one form or another. It's a symptom of a cry out. If you and I take notice of these cries, we can be a positive force in physically saving somebody's life. It will require courage on your part. You can be the voice that cries out to God for those who don't know how. And it may take courage on your part to support, to be that extra courage for somebody who doesn't have any. They have nothing left. They're empty and void. We need to be the strength for those who have lost so much they have none. Sure, there are programs out there. There's social workers and this and that, rehab centers. Programs abound. But let me change the way we think about programs. I put it to you to change the course of your thinking, Jesus' people. That you become the program. That you become the voice that responds to those crying in the wilderness. That you be the ears and the eyes of Christ. To see what's going on. To hear what a person needs. And to try to meet those needs. To direct the destitute, those in anguish, to look before the cross. Christ has given each and every one of us the ability to be that. I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't understand that. I live in a world of anguish and pain. Each and every one of you do as well. It's just that in mainstream society, it's much better masked. And some of you understand that it's not masked. You've seen behind the veil. You've seen behind the lie of strength. You understand through your relationships to people that not everything on the front is everything that's going on inside. I implore you and I beg of you to be those people, to rise to the call of God. Because you never know. You might be the last voice to hear that cry.
That's an awful place to be. Anguish, loneliness, desperation, and des- desperation, <coughs> depression are not only traits among First Nations people, they're prevalent everywhere. But we're really good at it. These feelings are not stopped by race, religion, gender orientation, hair color, big, small, doesn't matter. These feelings permeate our lives. And in order to be able to overcome that, we need to be able to turn and cry somewhere. These feelings require a response on our side. And we can do this in a very positive way. We need to be able to humble ourselves to say that we have a need. Look around you. This is our church family. We need to be open to each other. We need to understand one another in order that we can see beyond the veils. A few years ago, did anybody know that I was depressed? Probably not. I'm pretty good at masks. We all have them, but we can break through but there's also our responsibility to be humble and allow people to break through. Christina and I, working in the Penelope community and beyond, some of the things that we're doing um, to respond to the cries of the people. The last eight years or so, we've been doing the Roots program where we do archery, kayaking, outdoors, camping, and other fun things. But we're seeing behind the veil. We're seeing the need. That's all those programs are for, is to see behind. Get to the heart of the issue. That's the hard part. Lots of fun, lots of pain. But Roots isn't just about the programs that we're doing. We're always constant and We're trying to grow. If we become stagnant in the things that we do, we need to change with the community. We need to change for the community. And that's kind of what we're doing. We've also dreamt for an even longer time to have a place on Penelicate Island in, in order to be able to be more present to meet the needs of the Penelicate people. And we kind of talked about that a little while ago uh, when we had a missionary Sunday. And um, we want to develop this house 
or drop-in house or drop-in center as a place to gather and a place to grow. This dream is not only our dream, it's a dream of the community. We presented this to chief and council. We presented some of the possibilities that this place would have, that we would have more contact to different people to be a safe haven and a place for people to um, find trust and love, comfort, fun. A place where family and friends can gather and uh, I think the most important part of it is, is where we would be able to speak in conversation and relationship into the lives of those in need. And sometimes that's us. It's a two-way street. I don't have all the answers in all situations, and I sometimes find people speaking into my life there. We want to go with the flow of the community, and um, we want to be able to understand more about the people that we're reaching out to by living in what I call planned spontaneity. And that's hard because I'm kind of fixed in my ways, you know, and I can be kind of stubborn. I'm not as fluid as I really appear to be in how I do things. Let's face it, I'm a guy. I kind of get one-track minded, and I, oh, well, doing this way, and this is going to be this way. I have a hard time changing. I still like to sit in the same chair all the time, and I kind of give the family a look. It's like, that's where I sit. (laughs) But um, it's not just about us. This is a community initiative. We kind of dreamt about it. We presented to chief and council, chief and council, they're dreaming with us. A community initiative, a community solution. We can be a catalyst for that. We asked them to dream with us. They started dreaming and started running with it. And sometimes I just can't keep up. But we have full support of the administration. People suggesting ideas and how we can do things and make things run smoother. Um, But you know, there are roadblocks, legalities, all sorts of red tape, living on reserve and family lands and Christian nonprofit organizations, properties, building structures, all sorts of troubles. But they're offering solutions and, and dreaming with us about things like doing a, a fishing and hunting courses, management of land, um, <clears throat> you know, teaching parents better parenting skills, children learning skills, how to develop and grow as young people. A lot of really good things that came out of uh, a couple of conversations. 
as far as Penelicate leadership is concerned and other friends of ours, family, this is very positive. Hearing what the community needs. Crying out, we need our language restored. We need drug and alcohol counseling. We need this. We need that. They're literally calling out and saying what the need is. They're pinpointing those needs. This, to me, shows that genuine humility that I mentioned earlier. That God hears the cry of the humble. How healthy is that? When people look to us and say, can you pray for us? We have this need. We can't make it. We can't do it. Pray for us. Because they know that we love and follow Jesus. And they do not see us as the misrepresentation of Christ of the past. They see us as a positive influence in the community and they look to us for prayer and for guidance. They have put faith into God's power and put faith into his resources as unbelievers who understand the power of Christ. We as Christian people have to recognize this as a miracle. Because how can we Christians actually justify just sharing about Christ when a lot of the First Nations people have studied Scripture from the time they're six until they're 18. They know what Christianity should look like. And they know who Christ is in his person. Their cry out to God is not empty. Their place of desperation is recognized and they understand that they need help. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. God hears the cry of all his children. He created everybody. Therefore, they are his children. In a plea of desperation, the First Nations people are calling out and they are in dire need of support from the outside of their own communities. They're not asking for charity, but they're asking for a partnership and getting to a place of healthiness, to a place of being secure in who they are, to create a safe environment for their children a place for their elders to die in grace and dignity. They're looking for orange shirts. Those who have been stripped of a beautiful heritage are looking to reclothe themselves in the glory of the creation 
of God. We've recently, like 20 minutes ago, just commissioned the Justice and Mercy team. Yes, they're the front of our church congregation, Justice and Mercy team, but every one of us here has a part and parcel in that as followers of Christ. Are we hearing that call? Are we heeding that call? And are we acting on that call? I encourage you to step forward. Make yourself vulnerable to be the eyes and ears of Christ. For every job matters. We're not only involved in reserve things and this or that, but uh, we're wanting to partner alongside of different organizations and, and move forward because it's not just about us. Uh, started a dialogue probably about four years ago with Isabel about working alongside of Rainbows, and that's kind of just coming to fruit. I think we've broken, what, two appointments already in the last month? And, uh, but it'll happen. You know, to meet and talk and work things through. Going to meet with the Justice and Mercy team on Thursday, is it? Something like that, anyway. We're going to meet, and we're going to talk and dream and vision. I want to talk, dream, and vision with each and every one of you as we got to speak and talk and dream with Penelicate as a community. We can act as a bridge. Just this morning, I was talking to Paul Santa Claus van der Zee about different ways that we can do stuff together. And 40 years ago, he did a painting of Chief Dan George. And it recently came back to him. And he says to me, I think it'd be kind of cool if we could bring this to Nanamo Chief and Counselor or something as a gift to open up a... What, a, what an awesome idea. Little things to open up doors. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that, Paul. I've got a couple of other ideas. So there's the organizational thing and this and that. You can talk to us about different uh, avenues and vents for reaching out if you haven't already had ideas. So as I say, let's dream together. As we're dreaming about this drop-in house, Christina has been a champion on this one, and, and uh, it's been a tough road getting to the place that we are. And, uh, you know, some of the things that we could consider as, as a congregation is, is you know, we, we need a grant proposal writer or a fundraiser to help us uh, see this dream come to fruit. We need a lawyer to get through a lot of the legal red tape. <laughs> it's too much for me. I can't even uh, imagine uh, volunteers, pray for volunteers from the res to get involved, to have a sense of ownership over this place, to be able to say we were a part of that. 
we've had some kind of iffy volunteers, but uh, we want people that are sold out for it. So pray for that. Um, people who, I mean, just throwing out ideas, people who may be able to uh, do meals for, for the volunteers, for the uh, construction workers and the people that are involved on a daily basis, uh, materials uh, and financial donations for building the place, um, and even dreaming in the future uh, uh, for, you know, one of the things that I've dreamt about is actually having a, a place where we can do butchery and, and uh, uh, meat preservation and that type of thing. And, and uh, so maybe a butcher or somebody with home skills, you know, dream with us. The dreams can be big, they can be small, but they're dreams. And I want each and every one of us to be able to move forward in a positive way to get behind that veil of urgency. We want to eliminate the urgency and we want to be able to move forward and grow as a people group. As a people group. Well, I think I'm finished. (laughs) On that note, um, let's have a word of prayer. God, for those who are crying out in the wilderness, your ears are open. You hear those voices. For those of us in this room who are crying out, we want to hear you too. We want to be your support and your strength. For those in our communities who are crying out, let the people of God be the first ones to be there to respond to that urgency and that plea. May each and every one of us be the eyes and ears of your son so that he may deposit those prayers at your feet because that's what he's there for. He is our great intercessor and we trust in that. We thank you for how you are going to move us along and grow us and to change that urgency into praise. Thank you, God, for hearing us when we cry out. Thank you for responding and giving us solutions and direction. We are so blessed to have you in our lives. And may we be a blessing to those in theirs, in those lives that have need. Guide us and direct us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For each and every one of us, as a closing blessing, the Lord has blessed you. He has heard your cries. Walk in his strength and his might, knowing that your every step is for a purpose and a reason. Go in his strength 
and in his glory. Amen. Uh, just as a reminder, after we're done here, uh, there will be some prayer warriors to join you at the front if you have a need. And uh, don't be afraid to step forward and ask for that help if you need it.